Um, now, we have obviously been working our way through the Meals with Jesus um, series, and you know, and I've enjoyed a different aspect to some of these meals and, and the, the importance that has gone along with them. Um, but we obviously we're coming to the concluding one now, and that is the Last Supper, as Johanna has just shown us. So today's reading comes from Luke's version, Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 20, entitled The Last Supper, and I'll read that to you now. And it says this. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. So they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared, prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Father, we thank you for your word to us. What would you give um, to be able to sit down and, and um, have a meal with Jesus? What would that be like? What would you, what would you give to um, be able to go and, I don't know, um, sit on the beach like they did with, uh, in John 21? Jesus met with his disciples. Maybe you looked at the news yesterday um, with a slight tinge of envy on all those Welsh people sitting on the beach or, or going surfing, what would, it, what would you give to sit down and have a, have a meal with Jesus, pick his brains, and, and just uh, see him in the flesh? Um, or what would it be like you know, to sit round in that room in Emmaus and be told by Jesus, have everything explained to him? It would be amazing, isn't it? Well, in a, you can. You can sit down and eat with Jesus. That's actually what you do every time you take the Lord's Supper. We sit down um, together um, as his disciples, like his disciples, um, and we sit down and we eat a meal uh, with Jesus, albeit a very simple meal. 
And you will, that is the other thing, you are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, as, as Johanna uh, just spoke about briefly in, in that little video. You're invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. One day you will physically sit down um, and eat a meal with Jesus. And in fact, uh, maybe you've not realized this, you are the bride. Um, at the wedding supper of the Lamb, you will have um, pride of place and you will have white robes to, to wear. So in today's story, we see Jesus heading um, from Jericho. Uh, he's been with Zacchaeus. Uh, he's heading for Jerusalem. And although he's uh, welcomed enthusiastically to start with, as we heard earlier, he knows what is about to happen. And I have this phrase ringing in my ears from, from, the, uh, uh, from the studies that we've done. And it's this, and it, it comes up a couple of times, but it seems to me to have come up everywhere I've looked. I think that's one of those moments where the Lord is trying to say something to you. And it is this, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I'll say it again. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble them, humbled themselves will be exalted. This is what God does. This is what God loves. He loves humility and he exalts those. He blesses those um, who show humility. And I think actually Jesus heading into Jerusalem is, is surely the ultimate example of that. Here is the king of kings. He's shown the humility um, to become a, a human being, to be found on earth. And he's shown the humility now to go into Jerusalem even though he knows um, that he's going to die. Philippians 2 tells us, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, listen carefully, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And I tell you what, that's something I want to emulate. That's my new ambition to humble myself before the Lord so the Lord can exalt me in due course if that's his choice. And so uh, today events are, are starting and you know the Easter story events start to whirl around Jesus in the next few days but Jesus is just quietly confident. He doesn't bluster or complain. just goes quietly and, and assuredly about his father's business because he's confident that his father is in control, that God the Father works out everything in conformity with his will. And we see that, we see this humility and we see this confidence in this account today of the Lord's Supper. So Jesus makes arrangements to celebrate the Passover one last time. Even as he is about to make this epochal change, this change of era, this change of age, uh, in the way that the Lord is worshipped, he humbly submits um, to the right thing the right Jewish thing to do at this moment in time, which is, which is to take the Passover. So he sends out Peter and John um, to make arrangements. Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover, he says. In other words, go and secure the room, collect the lamb, uh, which would have been sacrificed at the temple, pick up the bitter herbs um, uh, and the unleavened bread that are going to form part of the meal. And then he gives them these um, detailed instructions about meeting the man um, carrying, the, uh, carrying the water. It's probably, um, probably somebody's servant. And they're told to follow him um, to the house, which is the house where the servant works, presumably, and then go to the owner of the house and say to him, the, um, the teacher, 
teacher needs the room. And interesting, this word for, this word for guest room. Um, I've lost it, sorry, let me just find it here. This word for guest room, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? It's a word, kathaluma, just as an aside, it's the same word um, for the kind of uh, room uh, in the inn where there was no, there was no guest room um, for Jesus. Um, when he was born, that's why he was born in, in the stable. There was no catholumen, there was no guest room. Um, it would be a furnished room. It would have uh, couches for reclining. It would have been reached by outdoor stairs. I think this is prearranged, probably, but it might be that Jesus, by his, in his divine nature, uh, he knows where the water carrier will be at which point in time, and he knows um, that the Lord will, will oversee all these bits in his providence that, that Peter and John will bump into him. It might be. And that he knows in his foreknowledge what the owner will reply. But either way, it's just really clear, isn't it, that Jesus, Jesus is in control. He's in control because uh, he knows what his father is doing. He can act in this humble way than just carry on with doing what is right. So he does what is right. He's celebrating the Passover in the city. That's the right thing to do. And we see that Jesus' words, as always, um, are trustworthy. Uh, and when Peter and John go out, uh, they meet the man carrying the water and they find the room. And when the hour came, we read Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. The, the day began at sunset, um, so the hour came. And Jesus says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It's a Jewish way of saying things. He says, I have craved with craving this moment. I've been longing um, for this moment, longing for this moment to, to eat this Passover with you. I think he's longing for it because it's, it, it's the moment where everything changes. Um, because everything is going to change because Jesus is, is going to the cross. And he tells him very clearly, he says, um, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. No more Passovers for me, Jesus says. No more uh, formal meals. No more banquets. says, until the wedding supper of the Lamb, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God when we get to the wedding supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. Uh, and John, uh, in, in the vision that he has, he hears a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of Sunday shouting, Hallelujah, uh, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride uh, has made herself ready. Jesus says, no more banquets, no more partying um, until that big moment uh, when you and I as bride and bridegroom are, are reunited in the new creation. And then he says... Um, Something similar, but just slightly different after taking the cup of wine. He said, take this, divide it among you. I won't drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jewish Passover meal came in, in four courses. This will be the first, the, the wine with the first or the second course. But even as there are no more Passovers, Jesus says things are even closer than that. No more drinking wine over the meal table with you. No more sit-down meals because the end of his life and his earthly ministry is, is really near. It's just telling them, it's, it's setting them up. It, this is it, guys. This is 
the moment change is about to take place. And there's another little problem, another little promise, isn't there? Um, that he won't drink again, um, together again, he says, um, until the kingdom of God comes. So there's a hint, there's a promise. He says, we will, we will drink again. We will sit down around a meal. We will drink again. There will be a, a physical resurrection. There is a better world than this to come. Uh, and you and I, one day, we will sit down again. But not now. Not tomorrow. Not until the kingdom of God comes. And then later in the meal, we read Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the third course of the meal where bread is eaten along with the the bitter herbs and Jesus takes it, gives thanks to God, breaks it so that it, it, it can be given out. And he says in this moment of that bread, he says, this is, this is my body. And he says, it is given for you. And then he says, do this going forward in remembrance of me. And one writer says, this is the moment. In that moment, the Jewish meal becomes Christianized. Because in a, in a few, few hours even, Jesus himself will replace, will become the real Passover lamb. The real sacrificial lamb that the Passover lamb just points towards. And his body, he says to the 12, he says, will, is, is given. He says, I give my body for you. And I want you to hear that this morning because it, it comes to you as well. Jesus says, my body, this my body, as it goes to a cross, is my gift to you. My nailed body, my hung up, bloody, breath forsaken body, this is my gift. It's my gift to you. What kind of gift is that? It's an atoning gift. It's a, it's a gift that pays. It's a gift that's on the receiving end of, of punishment. It's a relationship restoring gift. It's a blessing buying gift it is a penal substitutionary gift put some theology in it's where the the payment for your sins is paid by a substitute Jesus pays in in his body and this is his gift this is this is his gift to you it is given for you now can you say that that's the important thing can you look at Jesus on the cross and say he did that for me. Can you say that? Can you look at that and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I, re- I receive the gift. Please do that this morning, right now. If you've never done that before, look at the cross and say, Lord Jesus, please, I want to um, receive uh, that gift from you this morning. The gift of your broken body, which is payment for sin. The gift of, of being right with God this morning. Because Jesus now is the Passover lamb, so the form of the sacrament, the, the, the memory ceremony, um, has to change. So instead of Passover lamb and unleveled bread, we get the blood of the real lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus, and, and the bread that represents his, his body. Do you see the, the, the memory ceremony has changed to become new, so Passover no longer applies. Remembrance is still key, though. 
So the old Passover, it was instituted with these words. This is a day you are to commemorate. This is a day you are to commemorate, to remember. This is Remembrance Day. For generations to come, you'll celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Uh, and when you enter the land, the Lord said through Moses, uh, observe this ceremony. And when your kids ask, what does this ceremony mean? Then tell them it's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of Israelite in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. You know the story that they took a lamb, they sacrificed it, they painted the blood on, on the doorposts of the house. And they are to remember it. They are to commemorate that day. It has to become part of their national, national ceremonies. Remember, because, he's, because the, angel, the destroying angel came after the firstborn. And if you hadn't put the blood on your houses, it would have come after your firstborn too. But as it was, it just the Egyptians. And then the Lord says, it's not just for now. He says, but when you get into the land that I'm going to give you, the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, observe this ceremony. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand. You know you write, um, maybe you don't, or maybe your kids do, or maybe you do, you write things that you don't want to forget on the back of your hand. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand. And a reminder on your forehead, I don't think you do that, but you know, if you're desperate. A, a, a reminder on your forehead, so every time you look in the mirror, that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips, for the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. See, so this kind of remembrance is not a casual reminder. Oh, I'll just try and, I'll try and keep that in mind. Like when I say, when I say to myself, oh, I'll make a mental note of this. I don't know what happens to you, but I know what happens to me. They, they turn up mental notes, just disappear sooner or later. It's not that. This is, this is a, a pattern to be kept to commemorate, to stick something, affix something in front of your eyes and on the back of your hand so you don't forget it. It's a powerful remembering of what God had done. And so for Israel, it was, it was a community-defining moment. This is what made them who they were. They were the people called out of Egypt. And for you and I, this communion, it is a, def it is a memory of a defining moment. This was the moment when you and I uh, were, were called out of death and out of darkness and, and out of uh, a hell direction um, into walking with the Lord and, and knowing God and becoming Christian, becoming church, becoming the community of Christ. And Jesus reinforces this when after the bread he takes up the wine and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is uh, poured out. For you, Do you remember that promise of the new covenant in, in Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel when we were doing the covenants? It's a promise that our hearts will be made new, they'll be, they'll be softened, there'll be hearts that aren't hardened against God. It's a promise that the law will be written in us and on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's a promise that the, um, the Holy Spirit will be um, living within us. That's the new covenant and that's what makes it different from the old. That was the uh, a written law applied from the outside. This is the Holy Spirit applying the law uh, from the inside. What a great thing to be new covenant people. And so the sign of the new covenant, do you remember there were signs in those covenants? There was a picture of the serpent crusher coming. There was a picture of uh, 
the rainbow, God shooting himself. There's a picture of the, the cut up animals uh, with Abraham. It's God saying, if this covenant falls, then you can shoot me. And so as we come to this, this moment with this new covenant, God says this covenant is not going to fall because I've already been shot. I've already been nailed to a cross. The punishment um, has been taken. So you can be reassured that this is a covenant that doesn't fall, doesn't fail. It says because I've already met the requirements of this covenant. Of this covenant. The reality has come from all those signs. The new sign is Jesus on the cross and we're to remember that in bread and wine, body and blood. And we're to make that part of our ceremonies, our walking with Christ. Just let the PowerPoint catch up, sorry. So just a few thoughts as we come uh, as about we come to the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do on, on Friday. If you haven't booked your place in, uh, book it in now. If this persuades you to come and take the Lord's Supper, then hallelujah, please come. Jesus said when, when he uh, fed the 5,000, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You have no spiritual life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. How do you eat Jesus' flesh and, and drink his blood where you, you trust his death on the cross. Jesus, in the same context, says the work, the work of God is this, to believe the one he sent. How do we eat and drink his blood so that we have spiritual life? We, we, we trust what he's done on the cross. We embed ourselves in a church, in, in a community um, of God's people. And then we come uh, to communion. So there has to be a moment of decision, as we kind of alluded to earlier on, where you believe in the one he sent, that Jesus is God's son and that he died for you and that you want to receive the gift. Where you say yes to the gift. It's not an experience, it's a, uh, it's a decision. There will be experiences along the way, but first of all, it is a moment of saying yes. It's a decision of the heart and mind. Say, yes, I want to receive the gift. I want to receive Christ. I want to make him king in my life. And then we come to the Lord's Supper together. Um, and first off, it's, it's, a, it's a personal thing. Um, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we remind ourselves of what Jesus has done on the cross. It's a remembrance. And we come with confession because none of us is perfect. We come with contrition. Um, and we come in humility before the cross. We bow before uh, the cross again. We renew our confidence. Nothing physical happens to the bread of rhyme, but something spiritual happens, we're strengthened inside. In the same way that we're strengthened when we come to God's word, uh, God uses it as a means of grace, uses it as a way to bless us. So when we come to bread and wine, God uses it as a, as a way of strengthening our faith. But when we come together, something much more than that happens. The, the Lord's Supper defines us. 
It defines us. It's a symbol, actually, to, to us and to those around us. That this, is, this is why we are a people, because we are, we, we are sons and daughters of God, because we are brothers and, and, and sisters in Christ. So when we come together, we come together again with humility um, regarding one another. Uh, come, to, come together, we, we can't come then to communion just as a, a, a me and God thing. It has to be um, an, an us and God thing. Um, that's what I, and Paul has very strong words 1 Corinthians 11 I'll leave that to you to go and look up and for those who are coming to communion and they're not thinking about um, the rest of the body in fact in their context some of them are coming and they're eating their own food and other people are going hungry when we come together we have to be right with one another we have to make sure we're right with one another before we come But the Lord's Supper, I think, today, in the middle of this passage, you, you see Jesus um, connecting three meals together. Passover, Lord's Supper, wedding banquet. Three meals are, are connected together. The, the, the Passover is now gone. Um, it's fulfilled in Christ. Um, we're, we're not there yet. The wedding supper of the Lamb, we're, we're in the middle and we look backwards. Look backwards to what Jesus has done and we remember and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We look forward. Look forward with anticipation to the wedding banquet. Um, and what we understand by that is that what we experience now in communion, what we experience now in the Christian life is just an appetizer. It, it's just a, a, a shadow of, of what we will experience when we meet God face to face and we sit down, sit down at the wedding banquet of the Lamb um, as, as the bride, actually as, as the most honoured person in the room, um, and God looks on us with love and says, welcome uh, my bride into my house, into, into my kingdom, into this place of love and blessing forever. So I just say to you today, what would it be like to, to sit down and eat with Jesus? Well, come to Christ, come to communion, you'll get a foretaste. And then one day you'll get to sit down and eat with him in the place of honor in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you sent Jesus. And we've seen him in these weeks just um, eating with people, talking with people. Lord, we see uh, radical standards, not least about money and about um, welcoming aliens, strangers, the undesirables into our houses, into our presence, and we know that we failed. We know that we don't live up to the standards of Christ, and these are your standards for human beings. And yet today and, and later in the week, as we see it more clearly, we see Jesus now heading to the cross, And we give you praise, Father God, that he came with obedience, his humility to, to obey you and, and become human, his, his humility to uh, obey you all through his life, live a perfect life, and his humility to take that perfect life and, uh, and lay it down in injustice on, uh, on a cross. And the injustice done to him becomes the justifying 
power for us. He has done an injustice in that he's the innocent one punished. So that we can be justified, we are uninnocent with the guilty ones counted right. Thank you for this almighty cosmic injustice done to Jesus, without which there'd be no salvation. And we ask you today, um, we want to take hold of this gift. We want to know more powerfully than we've ever known before that, uh, that Jesus' body is given for us. We pray, will you come powerfully and meet with us as we take the Lord's Supper on Friday and in this week in particular, Lord, uh, help us die to ourselves afresh and help us uh, know the resurrection power of Christ in us more powerfully than we've ever known it before, we pray. We ask it in his name. Amen. Oh,